Hello, church. Hello, everybody. We are ready-ish, or as ready as we're going to get. So if everybody's, if anyone's in the hallway, come on in. You have a delay today, huh? Nothing? All right, here we go. So uh, we'll say a quick word of prayer, start ourselves off. Thank you, God, that we can be here, that we can praise you, and that uh, we could just be with friends. Thank you, God. Amen. Here we, go. here we go. If you want to stand up, you can stand up. If you don't, then no pressure. I'll give you like a really long intro so everyone kind of stands up and looks at me like, what's going on? All right, here we go. Come and adore him. Come and worship at his feet. Come bow before him. Come and see. Come bow before him. Come and worship at his feet. Before him, come and see for who he says he is, and men through the ages have seen the Spirit invites us to come and see. Jesus the King, Jesus the King, come bow before him, come and worship at his feet, come bow before him, come and see. as he is and men through the ages have seen the spirit invites us to come and see for glory surrounds his throne and men through the ages have known fall on his people that we Jesus the King, Jesus the King, Jesus the King, Jesus the King, great and glorious you are holy, wonderful you are rich in Wow. 
Just stay where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something again. I could hold on, I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. Be safe. I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home. Never let these walls down. But you've called me higher. You've called me deeper. I go where you lead me, Lord. You've called me higher. You've called me deeper. I go where you lead me. I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence. I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something again. Hold on, I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. I could be safe, I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home, never leave these walls. 
Good morning. According to this slip, uh, Dan should be here doing this, but uh, Dan's granddaughter, Lily, is sick this morning. So let's pray, Father, that you would be with Lily and Dan this morning, that she would be well again. And this morning, before I get to why I'm up here, uh, I don't like daylight savings time. We did something wrong this morning, and I don't know what it was. So we pull up into the driveway. There's not a car in the driveway. I said, uh-oh, what's, what's going on? The long and short of it is that we got here a quarter after eight. <laughs> so what do you do in an empty parking lot at quarter after eight? So we came in and did some things down at Fellowship Hall for the soup and chili lunch that we're going to have, and I hope all of you stay for that. You didn't have to bring anything because there's going to be a lot of leftovers otherwise, okay? So be with me next week that I make sure we don't get here quarter after eight. Right, Bev? <laughs> oh, here's a question for this morning. Where have you seen God's love breaking in this last week? Where have you seen God's love breaking in? What's going on with your life? I know there's some of you that want to raise your hand 
and tell us about the glorious, glorious time that you've had with our Holy Father. Welcome. So, I, I will tell you this, I'm not, I'm not getting out of here, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to sit down until somebody raises their hand, so you might as well, ah, okay, good morning. Um, my name is Deb McCormick, and um, this past summer and fall have been the most difficult in my life, and I've lived a while. Um, but I felt the Lord with me the whole time, and most recently, um, well, a month ago, my sister-in-law came over. We had a birthday party for my husband, and there was a bunch of us over, and then um, she... 80 years old, very active, 80 year old, but she fell down our basement stairs. We, it, was, it was an odd occurrence. It wasn't like a mistake, like, oh, oh, oh. We think that she um, maybe passed out and then fell down because there wasn't a sound. Turned the light on. I turned the light on and I saw her at the base of the stairs and I thought we'd lost her. I thought she was gone. Praise God, she was in, hospital, in ICU 14 days and she came home this Monday. Um, she's got some work to do. She's got an arm in a cast and um, she's got some uh, work to do mentally. She's got a lot of rehab to do yet, but she's home and um, we felt the Lord with us the whole time and I'm just giving him all the glory. Uh, who else? While you're deciding if should you raise your hand or not raise your hand, I, I do want to have a special welcome for those of you who are in our sanctuary for the first time. Welcome, and don't feel bashful about going downstairs and breaking bread with us. And we'll have, speaking of breaking bread, we are going to have communion down there at each table, so we are going to have communion. Anybody else? <clears throat> Um, I just wanted to give thanks to God. Um, my parents had visited us yesterday from Ohio. Um, my dad had been kind of low reco or long recovery from his stroke last year, and it was just really wonderful to see him back at work. They're you know taking vacation time, taking time to slow down. They love cruise ships, so they've been they've gone like they've gone on three just this year. Um, it's wonderful to see him like recovering in, in that way. So I would give thanks to God for that. Yes. Anyone else that's going to raise their hand? Well, I just, all right, let's let me finish off with this. And I, I feel exceptionally blessed and filled with the Holy Spirit this morning. But I have to tell you that, that every Sunday when I step into this sanctuary, I feel the same way, that God is with me, and at my age, God is taking care of me, and all I'm asking is another 14 years, that'll be it, and I think I told some of you that the reason I want to live to 100 is the day after I reach 100, somebody's going to take my picture, and they're going to send it into the morning show, and my picture will get on a smucker's jelly. Yes? Can I do that? Uh, Bethany, I think, is up next. No? 
Oh, we got one more song. That's great. <laughs> That's what I get for not reading my notes, right? <laughs> okay. God bless everybody. We'll see you downstairs for lunch, and we'll have communion down there as well. Thank you. Here we go. Why don't we stand up one more time? Your kingdom is simple, as simple as love. You welcome the children, you stop for the one. We want to see people the way Jesus does. Your kingdom is simple, Lord, teach it to us. Your kingdom is humble, as humble as death. His king is a savior who gave his last breath. So we might die daily, our pride laid to rest. His king is this humble, the broken are blessed. Hallelujah, hallowed be your name. May we live and breathe your praise. King of heaven reign. Your kingdom is coming. Your kingdom is here. Alive in our waiting. At work in our tears. So come to us quickly. As it is with your kingdom, 
Welcome to Genesis. My name is Bethany. Whether it's your first time here, or your regular attender, or you're searching, we're so happy that you're here today. Please take a moment and let us know that you're here, either by filling out the digital card or answering the text, or you can scan the QR code in the pew in front of you by using your camera app. When we were hearing worship, one of the lyrics really stood out from Single King from Simple Kingdom, you welcome the children and you stopped for the one. So as a church, we are really trying to create a space of belonging and inclusion and make a space for each person who is here. So we're hoping you might join us next Sunday following our service as we take a look at how ADHD and neurodivergence can be just another aspect of God's beautiful design. Whether you're wondering yourself curious about your child, teaching or service, teaching or serving, this will be helpful for everyone and anyone. By making small adjustments for neurodivergence, we will find it actually helps everyone. So come, be open to learning from our speaker and psychotherapist, Drew Yankee, and be ready for discussion. There will be lunch provided and childcare available. It's a $10 registration fee for the event. And it's just a space where we can learn to grow and we can create space for those who might be a little different. We want to change the world through creating spaces of belonging, through helping individuals identify and develop their calling, and through taking action for the good of others. Again this year, we're collecting new underwear and socks for CDC's Pride for Parents Christmas store this holiday season. CDC is Central Detroit Christian Community Development Corporation and one of our compassion partners. CDC is committed to empowering people, creating positive opportunities for their community and loving their neighbors. The Christmas store is designed to help children, to help them experience the love of Christ and the gifts that he gives, while affirming the dignity of parents who may not be able financially to, to financially capable of supplying the basic needs and special wants of their children. Poverty is complex and there are many factors outside control of the families. You can help by purchasing a package or two of new underwear or socks, either using the wish list link found in the bin, in the lobby, in the e-blast or on Facebook, or by buying a package at a local store and dropping it off in the bin in the lobby. The approximate cost is 10 to 20 per package and if you're not sure what to buy, pick the underwear or socks that you like in your size. You can also ask your kids to pick out their favorites. 
All packages need to arrive and all items need to be in the bin by Sunday, November 26. Join the youth group in creating a Thanksgiving meal for Community Cafe on Saturday, November 25th. If you're making sides for your holiday meal, consider making extra. If you are not, purchase a pie, donate your time or your funds to support this event. And today we'll be eating together, so please come and join us. Now stand up, take a moment, and greet those beside you for connection time. Thank you.
<laughs> well, good morning. Welcome. Great to have you here. So happy to see your faces. Hi. My name is Bo, one of the pastors here. And this morning, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about that we are an inclusive community. And we've lumped you into that conversation when we say we. And so to answer what that means, we need your help, your voice, your thoughts, your love. So when we say that we're all inclusive, it's an ongoing conversation that we're welcoming us into. Not saying that we all think the same in every regard to every issue, to everything in this, in this world. But yet we know that the way that God is calling us together is toward this aim of inclusion. That that seems to be the aim of history with Jesus oriented toward that culmination of an all-inclusive community with God at its center. And so we want to have this conversation with you for something more beautiful to happen and to take place. We have seen the church, and especially in the United States, be less than inclusive. And it never reflects Jesus in a way that, that any of us would say, that's good, well done. And so we're saying, there's, there's, there's something different. And it's not directed from the top down of a few people saying, this is how it is, and this is who we are. It's directed by people. And so we want to start another conversation today about that. And it's one about privilege and race. But as I was just even praying and trying to have a practice of saying, God, what do you want to say? Go figure that I'd ask that question. <laughs> God, what do you want to have to say? And I, and I have to admit, it's not the first question I always ask. I usually ruminate a whole bunch of other things. But when I pause and ask that question, God, what do you want to tell me? What do you want to say? I feel like for me, like 95% of the time, God whispers. I wonder if you have that same experience when you kind of stop with all the ruminating thoughts and say, God, what do you want to have to say to this? Or even you reframe it in a more simple thing of saying unconditional love. God, what do you want to say? And so when I pause this morning, after I've been looking at all this stuff this morning, sort of like the Hail Mary, Lord, what do you want to have to say? This is the whisper I heard. as if God was saying these words. And so I put it with a, maybe God said this. This was my perception. So discern with me. God's, this is almost in God's, in the first person of God. God's saying, my current flows in the direction of all-inclusive love. There's a current, right? Like a, it's a metaphor, like a stream. And the fastest part of a stream or a river is called the current. 
and it mo- it's moving, all moving in that direction. As if God was saying, my current flows in the direction of all-inclusive love. And to miss the mark is anything that goes against the current of God's love for his world and for the people in it. To miss the mark against God's love, which has a current and a flow with it, is to go against it, is to stand in the way of it, to block it, to, um, to funnel it, and to funnel it for maybe to exclusively to one group of people, and to create swamps and wastelands and deserts for others, is to miss the mark of God's love. And so today, we want to talk about that as privilege. See, we're having this conversation about being all-inclusive, but the reality is, is all over the world, the current of God's love is obstructed through all sorts of oppression and offenses and tragedies against humankind. Specifically in our context, racism has been an extreme obstruction to the current of God's love towards specific groups of people from the inception of the idea of the United States of America, even even before it. We know that. That history has been laid out for us at every turn. And at times that history has been tried to be rewritten and fought against and battled against of how we're going to tell the stories and what truth we will include when we tell the stories of a country that says that all have liberties and freedoms when in reality it, it didn't and still doesn't. That's called privilege. So in my 15 years, I've been at Genesis for 23, 15 as a lead pastor, in my time as that, and when, we, and when we as a community talk about racism or privilege, or when, when I have, it's only in this talk that I've ever had people tell me, don't talk about this. There's never been anything else I've ever spoke on that someone has come up to me afterward and say, I don't think you should be talking about that. Never. Interesting, right? No one has critiqued what is chosen to be talked about until I begin to speak or spoke on racism or privilege, or anytime we do, there's some voice around here saying, that's not appropriate. That conversation doesn't belong here. It belongs somewhere else. I always find that, that interesting when that happens. Now, I, I say that not as like that was a great offense to me or that was cruelty or oppression towards me in any way. It, it wasn't. Uh, the people who have said that also never returned as well. So there's the likelihood of that. And you could choose to do the same for a, a, a prethora, a, a ton of reasons today, not because we're talking about privilege. But, but knowing that, I had a friend who, when, as a community, we kind of looked ourselves, we tried to take an honest assessment of who we were and our discipleship as it relates to Jesus. And 
And at one time when we did this assessment, we said, wow, we all believe that um, justice and God's heart towards things that should not be in the world but are, right? that's sort of injustice, the things that should not be that are, we know that we believe that God has a heart for eliminating those things that should not be. And so we believe all the right things about justice, but we struggle to do anything about it. Right? That was been, we kind of said that that was our experience as a church. And we, we wanted to, to move towards that with humility and grace and with the help of the Spirit. And now today I also have a caveat with that. As we talk about privilege, I am the example in the United States of one who has stepped into the, the privilege in the United States, a current in the United States that um, moves faster for me than it does for the majority of you. Meaning if there was any benefit, now privilege can be defined in this way. An unfair, often unearned advantage or preferential treatment that is exclusively available to a select few. In this country, if there was a current that was moving in the fastest direction, started flourishing and good, I was in the fast lane. And I've always been in the fast lane. I haven't known anything but a fast lane towards privilege. And so today, it's not so much about me sharing my experience, but knowing that we want to look to the scriptures and knowing that your experience is probably more beneficial in us being able to hear it. As I will be opening my mouth and wanting to create opportunities for you to speak and for us to listen. Now that's going to happen in the conversations. So I encourage you, engage in the conversations. And if you're like me and said, hey, I've been in the fast lane of privilege for the majority of my life, make sure that when it comes to the conversations that you do more listening than speaking. Because we don't come as the experts. Our expertise is in that we've been given the most privilege and what that has felt like and looked like. That's not a sin. And so take a deep breath. It's not a sin. But once we know to passively go along with this current of privilege that excludes some, is not the heart of Jesus. And so we want to make that aware for the good of the gospel, for the good of a church, and toward the name of Jesus. That's our hope. As a community, I think we're, we're pretty inclusive. But also I know that I could have glaring blind spots. And so could our leadership. And, and your contacts could c- communicate something totally opposite. And so we're going to read into a story that that was the case. And about the church responding. So that's the context we want to create in here today. Um, Oh, one more thing. So I, I, when we were, there's a friend who helps communities engage in conversations about reconciliation and about racism. And I remember calling him and emailing him and saying, hey, uh, can we talk? You know, we want to we wanna learn about this. And, and he really challenged. And he was kind of like, if you're not willing to do the work, I'm not really going to waste my time in trying to educate you. It's all out there. Are you willing to do the work? And then he said this. This is a demonic issue in our country. It's demonic. There's an influence outside of humanity that plays a part in this. 
There is a stronghold within systems and structures. And when you begin to talk about it, you will see it rise up. So with that in mind, not that we're expecting demons to arise (laughs) anywhere in here, but it's a reality that this is rooted and deep. And so when we think about the flow of God's love and things that are trying to obstruct it, it is demonic. But we believe in a God who has the power and the authority to bind the strong man, to bring liberation and healing and reconciliation. And our hope is that we would be willing to listen, to be honest, to acknowledge, and then to bear real fruit of repentance. So may that be. Holy Spirit, we submit to you. We want to be influenced by you. And you breathe in us and on us freely. So we welcome you, Spirit of the living God, to inhabit our minds, our hearts, our memories, our experiences, to equip us to respond faithfully to Jesus. Pray as we talk about these, you make the, the space safe for those who have experienced trauma and wound from so many institutions and people. God have mercy. Amen. There's an author, his name is Dominique Gilliard. He wrote a book called Subversive Witness when he's talking about privilege. I, um, Dominique is a teacher and he's a teacher of pastors. I have been reading and learning from Dominique. Uh, I bought five copies of his book and they were supposed to be on on Thursday, so they'll be here next Sunday, God willing. Um, my hope is to present those five books to you and to find five people to read the book. Um, And then to write, my Carmel has this whole thing of like, hey, this is learning. Are you willing to do the work? Learn and learn from one who teaches. And so to read this book, I really want to challenge five white guys to read the book and to write their name in the book and their phone number in the book and then pass it on to someone else and to know whom you can have conversations about this book. So that book will be coming next week for people to read. So Dominic Gillard, he writes about this, about privilege. And he, he says there's an opportunity, and Christians should understand that privilege is a unique opportunity for us to bear witness to who we are and to whose we are. And that when we leverage privilege instead of exploiting it, we function as the leaven in the loaf. That was, a, that was a metaphor that Jesus used about the kingdom. He says it's like a loaf of bread and, and someone took a little bit of leaven and they poured it into the loaf until it consumed the entire loaf. It works as leaven in the loaf that moves it. And the moral compass and accountability in spaces and places of distinction. Privilege is never neutral. It always comes at the cost of your neighbors. So when we're talking about privilege, we're talking about one of the greatest commands of Jesus, which was to love your neighbor as yourself. Whenever there's privilege, there's a neighbor that is not being loved in the same way that you are. 
and it's coming at their expense. The majority of the time, it's coming there because there's this idea of scarcity, meaning there's not enough. And because there's not enough, we're going to let the few receive more, and a larger portion receive less. But the reality is the gospel speaks into the truth that there's enough. There's enough. There's enough. Again, privilege is an unfair, often unearned advantage or preferential treatment that is exclusively available to a select few. And Dominique speaks about saying that when the conversation about privilege happens in churches, that there's typically three responses that end the conversation. Let's see if you've experienced any of these or been a part of these or have felt this within you or even at the moment. These are criteria that says, no, th this is not the right conversation for this space, not this time. So there's the three ways that usually end a conversation about privilege are this, that churches and members deny that privilege exists. Or number two, they declare the topic's too controversial to address. Or the third, they lament that they feel immobilized by its weight. Have you experienced any of those emotions when the conversation of privilege comes up? Either it makes you mad, anxious, or sad. Anyone feeling those, those emotions currently? Well, so take a deep breath when I watch Daniel Tiger. <laughs> Count backwards from five, you're going to be okay. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the heart of Jesus in this world. So, five, four, three, two, one. <sighs> wow, don't you feel better? If we understand privilege missionally, and that's why this conversation is coming up when it comes to being wanting to be an inclusive community, we understand that sometimes that our privilege, when it's unaddressed, if there's many people who are not having the same experience, it's excluding them. And so they're being excluded from a number of the things that we would say, oh, we're inclusive, we're an inclusive community, but we're unaware of the experience of the other who's around us. And so we want this as a way so that we can acknowledge this reality of privilege, that we can be unafraid to hear the experience of others and what they have, what's happened either in their experience within church or within schools or within our neighborhoods or at our workplace or in our families or in our friend group, wherever it might be. God is Lord over all of those spheres. We want, to be, we want to be unafraid to acknowledge, to listen and address. Because we believe that in doing so is this opportunity for one, discipleship, where we'd be shaped into the likeness of Jesus, and we would be obeying the great commandment, which is to love our neighbors as ourselves. One more thing when we go, as we step into the text. This is not about white people being the Savior. 
we are not the center of the story, and we are not the heroes of the story. But we are participating in the story, not as the hero or the savior. The story doesn't surround, or it's not even centered in us. That does not mean to say that you have not experienced the lack of privilege, and you have, and we're going to look at that. But a number of us have, either based on our gender, sexuality, education, marital status, all the things, and we're white. But we also know this story doesn't center around us, and we're not the hero nor the savior. And so we just kind of hold to that. And so we don't speak as experts. The majority of the world lives under a heavy, heavy oppression. Whether it be poverty, systemic racism, the lack of access to food and clean water, and injustice everywhere. We, majority of us, have never experienced that. So we have a lot to learn. And leverage for the sake of others. Not as a hero, but as Jesus, who lowers himself and joins in the suffering of the world out of the deep flow of the love of God. That's the intro. Should we be done? No, we shouldn't. All right, in Australia, here's one more thing to make us feel good, because it's about Australia. Australians suck. <laughs> I don't, that's not true, right? You know, bluey and stuff, man, they're pretty great. <laughs> um, in the middle of October, there was a referendum um, in Australia that they put on their um, a vote to the people to said, should, should we create this advisory board of marginalized indigenous people to give advice to our parliamentary um, groups. So it's called The Voice. About 4% of the people in Australia are um, Aboriginal, and they just know that the quality of life for them, their, their life expectancy is smaller, their, their income, their education, everything is lower. And they said, oh, oh people, should we have an advisory of Aboriginal voices indigenous voices who just look at the things that we're suggesting and how they might affect these people as an as an advisory and said we're gonna we're gonna vote on it and they said no right they're like uh-uh no mostly because of misinformation i don't know what the misinformation was but there was a collective mourning in australia from people who's, who are unwilling to be like, we're willing to listen, we're willing to grab a set of voices and learn from them as they see what we're trying to do as a people. That's the opposite of what we say we would want to or be. And we mourn those kinds of things. But we also know in the United States that we are just not, a, we're, we are probably just as guilty, if not more guilty, of that towards marginalized groups. So may God have mercy. Here's the text that, should, that moves us forward in this conversation. I believe when we see the church in the early church engaging with privilege, but also forms of racism or with, with uh, divergent um, ethnicity. 
This is one where we see maturity and opportunity unfold in the early church. The church has exploded. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Uh, and, it, and it's moving. And new disciples are being made. But early in the story, all of a sudden we hear of a conflict. Tension begins to erupt. And this is found in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. They chose also Philip, Procorsus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So it's an interesting little story here. Parts you may like, parts you may not like in the conversation, you can wrestle with those parts, but there's something really interesting that's happening in this early church. Things are going well. Disciples are being made. This community seems to be flourishing on all counts. And then a complaint comes. There was an obvious injustice occurring along the margins of this community. And they were unaware of the discrimination in their midst. They were blind to it. And they couldn't even see. Now, this early church was doing pretty much what their ancestors had done, which was have um, a heart and kindness and love towards the most vulnerable among you. Uh, there was commandments within the Torah, because these were purely Jewish people. They were things like, when you're farming, don't, don't take everything when you're harvesting. Leave the edges. Leave the edges for the poor so they can go through and collect it. And they were commanded things like Jubilee when, when, uh, when, when the debts and the land that had been sold in order because of poverty were given back to the people. These were accommodations and love towards the most vulnerable within the community. And so this early church is just kind of functioning in the same way, still trying to have aspects of what their forefathers had done and what they knew was the heart of God to be concerned for the most vulnerable. So they created a food distribution program for the most vulnerable among them, the widows. What a beautiful thing to do. Great intention. But there was a problem. There was a drastically different experience between a different set of widows who were all within the same area. That one set of widows, the Hebraic widows, meaning they were, they, they were Jewish Jewish. They were, they were from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like the heart of Israel. The temple was there. The cultural context. When the rest of the world was being shaped by the Roman world, Jerusalem was saying, 
uh-uh, we're Jewish. We're going to speak Hebrew. We're going to engage in our temple practices. We're, we're going to battle against these realities of an outside culture that's trying to form us. We're going to keep all of our dietary laws and rules. And right, they, they were Jewish among Jewish. The language, they were, they were insiders of the cultural context in Jerusalem. They had people who were like them at the seats of power there. They understood the linguistic and the cultural nuances of that city. This was their city where they were raised and that. And there was another set of widows. They were Hellenistic, meaning they were shaped by the Greek culture. More than likely, they were in an outside city at one time, outside of Jerusalem, where the culture was, was, was being shifted and shaped by the Roman influence around them. They spoke Greek, and they were educated in that way, and there was customs and things that were that. And so they, they looked like their culture, more so. The interesting part, what they had in common is that both groups were women, a marginalized group within the first century and within, and within Israel. Not only were they women, they were widows. All of them had lost significant people within their lives of support and found themselves isolated and vulnerable. These are what they had in common. What they had different is that one group was, Hel was Hebraic, meaning they, they were from that area, and that the people in power looked more like them, spoke like them, and knew them than the other widows that were Hellenistic. There's a term called intersectionality. It's helpful for us to know this when we talk about privilege. We can know that it's, um, it's dynamic, it's complicated, and it has multiple layers that can add on to the experience of people. Intersectionality is the overlap of different forms of oppression. Another way to talk about intersectionality is that's the concept that all oppression is linked and people are often disadvantaged by multiple sources of oppression. Their race, their class, gender identity, sexual orientation, religion, just to name a few. And so we can see where this oppression was linked, right? And there was multiple sources. And the multiple sources for the Hellenistic Jews was, you're a woman, you're a widow, and you're Hellenistic and you're in an area that is, not the, that is not built and based upon that. So the experience of love that the Hebraic widows were receiving was drastically different than the Hellenistic widows. You can see the problem. That's, that's privilege or the lack of it. That's an example of it. Well, this complaint comes to the leaders of the church. They hear the complaint. It doesn't say how it arose, but it arose among the people who were experiencing it. Say, we're being overlooked. We don't have food. And it makes its way to these leaders. And the beautiful part is they listen. They don't minimize it. They don't ridicule those who brought the complaint before them saying, what are you trying to do? And you see that we're trying to do the best we can. I mean, we got things to do. They listen and they assess it. And not only do they listen and assess it, in their assessing they acknowledge that this is a problem. 
And it's a problem with the system. It's systemic. So they pull all of the people together. And they hear it and they assess it and they acknowledge that it's a problem. And then they make a plan to resolve it. Now one of the details in which they resolve it, it says they choose seven among them who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We might say that's having both character and competency. The character being the spirit of Jesus in them. Love, joy, peace. They have the spirit of God within them and they have wisdom. This competency of life. So they have these things and they appoint them. Now again, you can read in this, you say, these are all men. The problem is with men. Men started the thing and this is still perpetuating, perpetuating um, all the issues with sexism and that's going to be next week. We're going to be talking about that. But feel free to acknowledge that when you read this. It, oh, don't feel free. You know, I don't have to give you freedom. Like, like It's there. Engage it. But something interesting happens when they take this proactive step and address it and look for a solution forward. They empower seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to address the problem. Here's their names. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Taman, Paramenus, Nicholas. Three of those names might sound uh, familiar to your tongue, right, in, in our context. But when we see those names, we're like, ah, they don't, they don't mean anything to us. Like, we don't read those names and immediately think of something strategic that happened in this moment, or intentional. But I've got some other lists of names for us, and I just invite you with me, humor me, and um, we're looking for connection. We're looking for connecting the dots with names to context and culture. So I'm going to show you a group of list of names, and you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind, as long as it's not too crude. Um, first thing that comes to your mind when you see this group of names thinking about context and culture. Where might they be or come from? All right, you ready? Here we go. First group. Top five answers when you read these names. Where do they come from? Michael, Christopher, Matthew, Jessica, Ashley, and Emily. Nineteen ninety was the year. These were the top names that were chosen. These people are like, you know, almost thirty-five years old. You know, those names. United States, right? You can actually go to Social Security office and you can see the top names every year they put these kind of things out, right? United States. How about the next list? Juan, Mateo, Carlos, Antonio, Sophia, Camila, Diego. Mexico, top names. We read them and we, we know culturally there's a heritage. You're being named for certain reasons. There's a connection somewhere. How about the next set of names? David, or David, Noah, Abigail, Yaakov, Daniel, Elijah, Leah, Abraham, Levi. What about those names? Yeah, they're, they're, we might say, oh yeah, we see all those names from the Bible, but they're, they're names in Israel. They're Hebrew names. Stop Hebrew names still. One more set. Athena, Apollo, Adonis, Alexander, Hermes, Hera, Daphne. 
Yeah, we get it, right? So these names, the names that we saw on that first list that are actually in the scriptures, anyone who would read that list would say, oh, they're, they're giving power to Hellenistic people. They're giving power to Greek people. They're, they're making sure that people around the table who can actually address this, they're extending power to different people who didn't have that authority. They're extending the people at the table. That's what we begin to see happening in the story. They empower seven leaders, and these seven leaders resolved the problem and became a model for confronting privilege, addressing discrimination, and sharing power. What's so interesting about the church's maturity in this moment, and you can say there are moments of immaturity. You kind of wrestle with that. There was some, they said, oh, it's not good for us to sit at the tables. We'll appoint some other people to do so. And you kind of weigh that and, and, and be like what it is. But what's so interesting about the Bible, when you read it, the, the story in Acts 6 says, all right, the 12 disciples are going to say, we need to devote ourselves to the spreading of the word and to prayer. We're going to appoint you seven to the distribution of food towards the widows. And do you know what happens from the next three chapters of the Bible? It has nothing to do with the 12. It actually is the stories of two of those who were chosen and how they are spreading the gospel around the world. Interesting. How interesting. It's the stories of Stephen, and it's the stories of Philip. As they're leveraging their lives for the good of others, the gospel is spreading. And the writers of the gospel story in Acts say it's actually spreading through them. They are participating in this great commission and the great commandment to love. The idea of leveraging our privilege doesn't hinder any of the work of the church, it fuels it. And the majority of the church in the West has been going about it all different. Been choosing not to address privilege and all of the issues that we continue to see among us, thinking, no, there's a better work to be, there's a different work that we gotta do. Yet we see this model, we see this pattern, we see this maturity and we see the fruit of it. So our encouragement today, as this story illustrates, could we humbly respond to discrimination among us and around us? Could we respond to the complaints and also address the privilege within our midst? Could we choose to engage that instead of just passively going along with it? Can we believe that that would produce fruit and shalom and be more a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God? It takes real maturity to do this, to where we can acknowledge it and move on. Maybe be willing to do that. We must be courageous enough to address this. 
When we don't, it distorts the communion in the church of God and the aim of God in the world. So we invite you to step up, step in, and engage. There's a couple of things that immediately that we can do. Next Tuesday, you can vote. These are local elections. Most of us will look at these local elections and think, these are meaningless as opposed to the national elections. But actually, the things that actually bring drastic change to your neighborhood and our communities and the, and the, and the, the idea of actually putting people at the table who can actually see the issues and directly influence uh, power and privilege within the context of our neighborhoods is in these local elections. And so vote next Tuesday. Do your research as you step up to it. See what they're about. Engage in that way. Another thing that you can do too that's less immediate, but maybe, maybe it's not for you, say yes to jury duty. Stop saying no. Stop trying to get out of it. No one wants to do it. <laughs> Katie wants to do it. But you're subversive. Right? Then we do it because we could step in with, with the grace of God, God willing, with all humility, knowing that the systems are flawed and bent, that maybe we could listen and respond. But don't eliminate yourselves from those, but step into it. The other thing you can do is learn. And the book that I was mentioning, Subversive Witness, is all about privilege and how you can, um, how you can engage and leverage your privilege and acknowledge. And that there's patterns and, and models. And, and Dominique, his thing is to want to empower the church. He's saying, I want to use my platform and leverage my learning and my expertise towards you to engage in this for the good of the kingdom. The other thing that we're inviting you to do for those of you who are in groups, as we engage, if you're willing to step into it, we're like, we, we have got to know when the experiences within this church are contrary to different people groups, to people of color, for those experiencing any kind of gender issues, when the, when the experiences of our church, when they're, the, when they're drastic, whether you're single or married or older or young, we, we've just got to know that if we got discrimination or issues in the way that we love each other with access to resources and opportunity and, and to belonging, we just need to know your experience. And maybe you've tried to share it and we didn't listen. That could totally have happened. And if that's the case, I am so sorry. Maybe you thought you were telling someone who would tell someone. So um, part of the groups, we've actually invited the group leader to open up an email to the elders. And just say, ah, I've heard this, so this has been my experience, just as a part of the group, just so the elders can now hear this and say, what do we do? How do we gather forward? How do we, how do we, how do we resolve this? 
how do we, how do we bring more shalom and peace? So we, we invite you um, to speak up. When we say that, we're not trying to put the burden on the oppressed. And so I don't know how fully not to do that. Uh, but my hope is, is that maybe if you've heard someone express that and all of a sudden it hits your memory, that you could advocate for them, even if it's not your story. We don't want to put a bur the burden on those who have been discriminated against. But we pray that we could hear and see and learn. There's a few steps. Okay, I think that's it for today. There's three postures that end the conversation. Do you remember them? The privilege does not exist. That's an utter lie. I remember the first time when I was in school when I had a teacher in my high school who began to teach the lost cause myth, uh, mythology, which was that the Civil War was not based upon slavery, but it was based upon um, state rights and a, a moral and a, and a just reason for the war. Right? Those are lies. So anyone who says there's not privilege, it's another lie. One other thing that ends the conversation is that it's too controversial. And so we take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. We don't have all the answers. We're not going to solve it. We're flawed. But we take a deep breath and we engage. Is it controversial? Is it, is it painful? Does it hurt? Yes. But there's also forgiveness and beauty and reconciliation. And in the final one, it just feels so heavy, right? Too heavy to even move by all of the weight of it. Julia was sharing, it's like, how do we right-size our response? A step towards it. How do you right-size your response to leverage your privilege? We need each other to help us on that journey of how to do that. That this conversation can stay in front of us and in us and with us with our eyes open and engaging it. I had one more example and I'll pray. And I'm only going to mention it, Katie, because you spoke out loud and you said you love jury duty. I was sitting with her and they were talking about your home and about you bought a home and sometime you'll sell it. But there was just a little idea in your head about not trying to maximize the return that you can get on your home just for your good. But like how in the world could you sell the home in a way that doesn't price out <laughs> normal people who normally would live in that neighborhood but who no longer can? And that's just the reality of how property works. It's the way real estate agents work. The goal is to get the greatest return for your investment. And that's just the way the tie, that's the way the current moves. And to think any other way than getting the maximum investment on your return is subversive. It goes against the grain of that current. And for many of us, you understand that we have received extreme privilege and the number of our returns are always greater than the majority of others. 
I need to think about different ways of doing things that the systems aren't even set up for. And you would be like, how in the heck would you do that? How in the heck would you talk to a realtor and do that? How would you promote it and put it out there? There's no great answers, but somebody's got to figure it out. But that's an example of how you subvert and leverage your privilege for the good of others. Now, I bring this up, not the Pat Katie then on the back. She had the idea. She hasn't done it yet, right? So cool your jet. She's cool, but not that cool. <laughs> and so that's the thing. It's not, we're not trying to elevate any white person for the sake of this, but maybe move in order to subvert these systems of inequality and discrimination. I keep on saying I'm done. I keep talking. Jesus, have mercy on us. So for what, for what stings, for what hits, Holy Spirit, guide us. Where there's an obstruction to us learning, or that is not from you, but it's from something else, we say silence and leave. And may Jesus breathe his life into us all. Where trauma and wounds have rose to the surface because we've talked about this, and for what has not been included, that even by me not included, it undermined the story of some people here. Jesus, would you whisper to them how much you love them and know them? You know every detail of their trauma, of their pain, of their forgottenness, of the discrimination, and the marginalization they have experienced. And you care. And you're inviting us to join in your care. Oh, may we humbly say yes. Amen. So church, there's soup to eat together around tables. Join us down in South Hall. Grab your kids. Uh, step down there and eat. We're going to do communion around those tables together. You can still sign up for a group. Have a good Sunday. Hallelujah.